You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Like you said, I'm Morgan LeBeau. I'm a proud member of the appointed class. Yeah! I am already looking forward to Christmas break, and this is a shortened semester. So I think that sentence alone says a lot about where we are right now. I am so excited for silence. And I'm not talking about when I tell jokes today. I'm talking about when I go home. I would like to go and sit in the drop-dead quiet of my house. And this is really unusual for me because I'm a very loud person and I love loud people. I love the room to feel deafening. I could study at a concert. Anyways, anyways, our house is not a quiet one. I have a nine-year-old sister who runs around screaming the lyrics to the Lego movie. I have a dog that never stops barking, and I have an older brother who plays League of Legends at 2 a.m. Enough said. However, my family, when asked, makes the space for silence because we know how healing it can be. But I know that even more than me, my mom has to have the quiet. Yes, Jennifer Melton needs absolute silence after an intense workload or a long trip. She needs to come home to a clean and quiet house. She says that she feels like she has just returned from battle and needs everybody to be absolutely quiet. No television, no kids, no music, not a creature stirring, not even a mouse. She wants the house to feel like you've just asked somebody out and they've said, "Mm, I'm not really looking for anything right now. And I want to talk to her and I got to wait. Well, I might be waiting for a while. Now I know she loves me and I know she's not ignoring me She is simply sitting in silence, and I must wait. And I respect that, and I appreciate that, but man, whenever she is quiet, I feel like that is when the world starts to fall apart. I get 400 emails from financial aid, I'm having a midlife crisis, and I am somehow convinced myself that I should have been an education major when I hate kids. (laughs) And of course, Through all of this, I want to talk to my mom, the keeper of all knowledge, the sock finder, God's greatest gift to humanity, and the solution to all of my problems. But of course, she is simply silent. And I always sit there and I think, how does she do that for so long? And then I think it's more, why? does she do that for so long? And this is what prompted me to consider this week, what about when God is silent? What do we do when God is silent? Especially when we feel we need him most. Where is he? In the battles that I'm facing, why isn't he speaking? And then I think when God is silent, we need to seek him. You know, when I was little, I was really good at hide and seek. I mean, the master, if you will. 
Jacob, my brother, on the other hand, was not. He was like a bull in a china shop. But me, I played the game differently. I wouldn't breathe. There were games where I felt like I was going to die because I was so silent and no one could find me. And I made them search. My dad always says that I gave the best response. I would give a big hug when you found me, and I would say, oh my goodness, you found me. I'm so proud of you. I wanted you to find me. Well, God isn't silent for a game, but he does want us to seek him. And I found a perfect example of this in San First Samuel. I almost said Samuel 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had made a raid on Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went on their way. When David and his men came to the city, it was burned with fire, and all their wives and all of their sons and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength left to weep. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all of the people were embittered each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Then David said to the priest, Oh, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So the priest brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So after this long and exhausting trip, um, not by plane or car, mind you, David and all of his men finally return home to total devastation. Everything was burned to the ground. Their families were all missing, it said they cried until there was no strength left to cry anymore, and I have definitely had days like that. And David's men turned on him. They went crazy mad. It was their exhaustion, their grief, their sudden sense of lostness that made them want to kill David. Now, I imagine that David was pretty stressed about all of this, and most of us won't ever have to experience what David faced but I know that we can relate to David's emotions and I would call it despair. Sometimes despair follows a personal tragedy or a loss, but it can also just be from the daily wearing down here. Whether you have financial problems, health problems, relationship issues, feelings of inadequacy, these all may make discouragement a constant in your life. This is especially heavy on us when we're 20-somethings living through COVID, which has no end. And so we sit waiting for God to do something, anything, and we wait and we wait, and more often than not, we wallow in our own solutions, in our own depression, and despair can affect anyone for so many reasons. 
But the Lord does not want us to lay around in some fog depression. He wants us to seek him. And we can't just avoid the situations that lead us into discouragement. But we do have the choice whether to stay in the condition, in the mindset. Instead of caving into misery, which I feel like I do all of the time, David chose to strengthen himself in the Lord. He recognized that God was the only one who could give him the proper perspective on the problem and provide the guidance that he needed. And so he sought him. When we are discouraged, Asbury, where are we turning? Our friends, food, drinking, shopping, music, sleeping, whatever it is, the list goes on and on. Probably the last thing that you want to do is read scripture and pray, I get it. But the Lord is asking us to seek him. At first, the passages may seem like meaningless words and your prayers might feel empty. But if you stick to seeking God, you will eventually experience his comforting grace. Trust me. But I know, I know the waiting. Know that God's silence does not mean that he doesn't love you. It does not mean that he doesn't hear you. It means that you must seek him, be strengthened by him, be obedient to him, and wait. We are not alone in this, and we are not the first. Just like David, Israel had nearly given up hope, thinking that God had abandoned them. But what did Isaiah remind them, just as we are reminded today? But those who hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary and they will walk and they will not be faint. Thank you. Good morning, Asbury. My name is Evan Kennard. I'm a proud resident of Trustees Citadel specifically. It's my honor to introduce you guys, and it's my privilege to introduce a man that I met at the scholarship competition. Now, little did I know that he would become my best friend. I'll tell you a fun fact, he's good at everything. Ping pong, pool, sports, intelligence, you name it. But honestly, um, I knew that God intended for us to cross paths. And I'm forever grateful to have met a man that is so gracious, faithful, kind, thrifty, and Prepare your arts, Asbury. He's bringing the word, I'm telling you. So it's my honor to introduce you guys to Stephen Thompson. What's up, Asbury? My name is Stephen Thompson. I'm a proud member of the faithful class. Hey, let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. So today, I wanted to jump right in just head first. So I have two questions. I really want you guys to think about these. Really take these to heart and give me an honest answer. Give yourself an honest answer. The first question is, if you died today, how certain are you that you would go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus Christ? 
On a scale of one to 10, I want you to really give yourself an honest answer. Everybody good? All right, all right, sweet. Second question, if after this chapel, you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you enter into heaven and spend eternity with me? Why should I call you my son? Why should I call you my daughter? What would you say? Harry Potter. See, if you would have asked me that question a year ago, what I would have said with my mouth and what I would have believed in my heart would have been completely different. And today I wanted to share how I even ended up on this stage in the first place. See, reflecting on my past, I don't really have specific memories. I have these different aromas that surround different times throughout my life. Christmas is definitely one of those times. One of my favorite times of the year is family, peace, joy, laying under the Christmas tree and looking up at the Christmas lights that me and my dad put up and hearing the Christmas story like a hundred times. Another time is the 4th of July. Um, yet again, family, lots of cousins. Every time, every 4th of July, um, I'd meet someone, he'd come up and be like, wait, what's up, cuz? And I'm like, mom, dad, is that really my cousin? My mom would be like, no, that's not your cousin. My dad would be like, yeah, for sure. So it was one of those things. Every 4th of July, I'd leave with like 10 new cousins in my back pocket. Another one of these aromas is church. See, I loved church. I was there all of the time. I grew up in the church. I have a family that loves God and has prayed for me all my life, and I thank God for that. I loved going on Wednesday nights and hanging out with friends. I loved building relationships with the upperclassmen and the cool college dudes. I loved listening to music on Sunday mornings and dancing around at church like a fool. I love that feeling of invincibility that I had as I left a mountaintop experience like camp. I loved those church camp crushes, you know what I mean, where you show up to church camp, you meet this girl, you fall in love in seven days, and then you can't wait until next year when you can cry this prayer over here at her at the altar again. See, those were the days. Those, those are a couple of the more surface-level reasons I loved going to church as a child, but on a deeper level, if I can be honest, I loved that feeling holier than thou because I knew some Sunday school answers. I loved feeling a little better about my broken self because I at least made an effort to get to church on Sunday mornings. I loved that it was so easy to be fake. Yikes. See, but to my own recollection, there was no moment that I could remember in my past whenever I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Now, my family says that I had that moment as a child, and I believe them, but as I grew up, I began to fall more in love with the things of this world, and my sin nature manifested itself in different ways. Going into high school, some guys I looked up to on one of my sports teams introduced me to pornography, and all throughout high school until September 2nd of this year, I was a slave to pornography, a slave to my pride, a slave to my self-righteousness, a slave to this secret sin that I could get away with while maintaining this good Christian boy act, this image that I had worked so hard to maintain all my life. See, sin defined my life, but I was good at fronting like I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I did the right things, I said the right things, I went to the right places, and I didn't do the things that bad sinners were doing. I wasn't getting wasted on, on the weekends, I wasn't cussing every other word, I wasn't sleeping with my girlfriend, so I was all right, right? But back to the first question I asked at the beginning. See, if you would have asked me about a year ago to rate myself on that scale, the one to 10 scale of whether I would spend eternity with Jesus, I would have probably given you about an eight. I mean, I did the right things. I knew the stuff. I was a Bible theology major, so like what more could God ask? I even talked about him with my friends in hopes of them changing their ways. Bro, I even had these people in my life that I looked up to, these religious figures, these spearheads in my life 
that told me that God was going to use me for big things. However, in coming to Asbury, and especially over the season of COVID and quarantine, I began to question whether I had a true relationship with Jesus Christ, a real one, a born-again relationship with the Lord and Savior of the universe. Not a relationship where I do things in hope of earning a get-out-of-hell-free pass. Not a relationship where I feel like I can get away with sinning as long as I fool the people in my life that seem to care. See, I yearned for this life where I did not live in constant fear of messing up, a constant fear of breaking another rule that would disqualify me from heaven, a constant fear of sinning and living another day without my get-out-of-hell-free card in my back pocket. So that's the beginning of my story. But aren't we so blessed to have a creator that never gives up on us? Even whenever we live a life that screams, I hate you, God, God never gives up on us. Some of you might be like, dang, that's a little harsh, don't you think, Stephen? I mean, I hate you, God. You were living a good life. I would even say you were doing some good things for God. So what's the problem if you slip into the sin of pornography every once in a while? And that was my mindset before I truly met Jesus and began to know him on a personal level and to live life with him and not simply living my life knowing about him because there's such a big difference. If you guys would turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. So who was my brother Nicodemus? See, he represented the best in the nation. He was a teacher. He was a Pharisee, a religious sect within Judaism who were known for their emphasis on personal piety. Sound like anyone of you? He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. From the world standards, this man had it going on. He was born a Jew. I was born a Christian. I've been in church forever. Surely that counts for something, Jesus. But that's not true. See, we won't get to heaven because we've grown up in church and because we try to live a moral life. Nicodemus had to realize that being a Jew wasn't enough. And we need to realize that being cultural Christians, someone that goes to church, plays in the band on Sunday morning occasionally, knows that Chris Tomlin song, but never shares the good news of what Jesus is doing in their lives with people, it isn't enough. See, we get to experience eternity eternity with Jesus through faith in him and faith alone. Now, if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, it says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. 
This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. See, I love how John, he just shoots us straight whenever it comes to sin. Look at verse 6 and verse 9. Verse 6 says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And verse 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. See, there are people under the sound of my voice right now that call themselves Christians, just like I did a year ago, but the fruit of their lives would tell a completely different story. But we have this hope that Jesus did not come to earth to condemn the world. He came to transform us and to save the world. John 3.17 tells us that. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to transform us. He did not come so that we might have some good rules to follow in order to live a pious life. He came to heal you, every single part of you. And if you find yourself in a cycle of sin that you cannot break out of, whether that be sexual immorality, a prideful mindset, drunkenness, self-harm, believing that you have no purpose, believing that you're worthless, believing that God can never love someone like you, then believe me when I say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. See, alone, you and I have no power to overcome sin. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can live in freedom. We can live in freedom from sin cycles that are a part of so many people's lives. Jesus makes us new, and Jesus is greater than sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God conquered sin, and we can conquer sin through Jesus Christ. See, if you're in a place where sin doesn't break your heart because of how it breaks God's heart and because of the damage that it does to the relationship you have with him, then I would argue that you need to check yourself because you might not have a relationship with him. Like I said about a year ago, I came face to face with this harsh reality that rang true in my own life. One I had been wrestling with during my time at home due to COVID and quarantine and For me, COVID was a time where I intentionally sought after God like I never had before. And God had been preparing my heart to fully surrender to him on September 2nd right there. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and made him my Lord and my Savior. I laid my mask down, my broken sexual past, my insecurities, my hurt, my pain, my depression, my anxiety, my brokenness, my gifts, my talents, my loves, my passions, my hopes, my dreams. I laid all of me down at the foot of the cross. See, the Holy Spirit called me to repentance, and I finally understood that the only reason that any of this matters is because of Him, because of Jesus Christ. The only way that I will experience fulfillment in this life is through Jesus Christ, and the only way I would ever be able to overcome sin in my life is through the power of Jesus and what He did on that cross. Can I get an amen? Amen. See, going back to that question, for those of you like me who gave a number less than 10 out of 10, Let me remind you that Jesus did not die for 80% of your sins. Jesus did not die for 90% of your sins or 50% of your sins. Jesus died for all of my sin and all of your sin. Jesus died so that we would be in relationship with him. Jesus died so that we can walk into our true identity, a child of the one true God. Whenever we approach God the Father and he, he asks us why we should be able to spend eternity with him, our answer should be, because of what your son accomplished on that cross, and because I know him and I love him, 
with every ounce of my being. See, we here at Asbury, we're here at Asbury, so I assume that the vast majority, if not 99% of you all, have heard the gospel before. I mean, I was in the same boat. I knew the story, I had the head knowledge, but my heart was not in a posture of truly believing in Jesus Christ. Whenever you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you will never be the same. See, our God is a God of transformation. He makes new. So let me ask you this. So why do we settle for this half-hearted religiosity where we don't really believe that Jesus desires to transform every part of our lives? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Have you been born again? Jesus is calling your name with open arms and don't miss the opportunity you have to start living life the way God designed it. A life where we live into each beautiful second free from the weight of the world and our hearts ablaze for Jesus Christ. Many of you in this room have encountered Jesus Christ and accepted the gift of salvation in your lives. Amen. However, some of you who have a relationship with Jesus may have still answered that question I asked at the beginning, the question about how sure we are of going to heaven with an 8 out of 10 or even a 3 out of 10. But don't forget the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It reads, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. The law of sin and death condemns, but the believer has a new relationship to the law through the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore he cannot be condemned. This verse does not say that we will never fail, that we will never make mistakes, or even that we will never sin. Christians do fail, Christians do make mistakes, and they do sin, but it is through Jesus Christ that we can rejoice in our status as children of God and have the power to go to battle with the devil every waking hour. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. God's love for us is extraordinary, and it's hard to fathom sometimes. But we cannot forget that salvation is the expression of the love of God. In closing, I want to close with a little story. It goes, a group of teenagers were enjoying a party, and someone suggested that they go to a certain restaurant for a good time. I'd rather you take me home, Jan said. My parents don't approve of that place. Afraid your father will, father will hurt you? One of the girls asked sarcastically. No, Jim replied. I'm not afraid my father will hurt me, but I am afraid I might hurt him. You see, Jan understood the principle that a true child of God who has experienced the love of God has no desire to sin against that love, to sin against that God. John 3.16, we've all heard it, we all know it. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We hear it often. We know it in our heads. Asbury, do we believe it in our hearts?